This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and descriptions of graphic violence. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 315. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 56 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Brian, Fiona, and Daniel have just survived an ambush from the Vampire Crime Syndicate. The ambush was orchestrated by Miriam Bakhtavar, an elder of the Psy Collective, who was kidnapped and turned by the vampires about six months ago. Miriam hates Malcomard Valos, the vampire prince, but the magic of the blood bond compelled her to obey him. Fortunately, Miriam knew that the altered pheromones of her vampire body would serve as a warning for Fiona, whose psychometabolic powers give her exceptionally keen senses. As a result, Fiona wasn't taken by surprise, and she was able to arm both herself and Daniel with wooden stakes before the vampires closed in. It was the edge they needed to give them a fighting chance. With Fiona holding Miriam at bay, Daniel and Brian were able to eliminate or disable all of her vampire accomplices. As they were debating how best to take on the Elder, Miriam finally caught Fiona in a grapple. Giving in to her vampire instincts, Miriam bit Fiona and began to feed. Daniel took advantage of Miriam's distraction to leap down on her from the rafters above, hanging her by the neck from the cable of a gantry crane. With her superior strength and speed neutralized, Fiona buried the stake in Miriam's heart. This disrupted the magical energies animating Miriam's body, leaving her as motionless as any other corpse. Unfortunately, while Fiona, Brian, and Daniel were fighting for their lives, Sasha and Abby were doing the same on the other side of the city. Victor Hincavos had tracked Abby to Eastside General Hospital, the collective-run facility where both Sasha and Daniel are employed. The hospital's guards were no match for an elite military intelligence officer like Victor, and Sasha quickly found that she was Abby's last line of defense. With Abby injured and unable to run, they locked themselves in a high-security storage room, where the hospital kept a cache of performance-enhancing psi drugs. In desperation, Sasha injected herself with Mad John, a synthetic neurotransmitter that boosts telepathic abilities, but also poisons the user. Sasha joined in a gestalt with Abby, 
and together they threw their combined powers at Victor's defenses. Abby's ESP showed them the cybernetic circuitry that Victor has installed in his head, a product of the mysterious nanotech that he and Daniel had helped smuggle into the city for the vampires. The neural network makes it impossible to read or control Victor's mind with telepathy, though he's still vulnerable to sensations picked up by his own telepathic abilities. The Sasha Abbey group mind temporarily stunned Victor by feeding him an amplified signal of their own fear and pain, and Sasha shot him twice. Unfortunately, Victor was able to raise a PK shield and partially deflect the shots, which hit him in the shoulder and the arm instead of the heart. Then Victor used his telekinesis to strangle Sasha until she lost consciousness, cutting off the group mind from Sasha's powers and the effects of the Mad John. Victor, consumed with rage and madness, attacked Abby with a knife, trying to cut their unborn child Darla out of her. Unsurprisingly, Victor injured Darla in the process, who unleashed a devastating psychic scream of her own. Now acting on instinct, Victor drove the knife directly into the center of Abby's womb, killing Darla instantly. Disoriented and injured, Victor fled, leaving Abby to bleed out on the storage room floor. Making the Cut a novel of Metamore City. Written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 56 Fiona watched with a numb detachment as Daniel pulled Sasha's skimmer into the parking garage below the nest. He set it down in a spot close to one of the lifts to minimize the chance of exposure. Brian closed his eyes briefly, then nodded. No one's around, he said. Small mercies, Daniel said. He gestured at Miriam's body, lying on the back seat with her head on Fiona's lap. I'll help Fee take her upstairs. Call Sasha and let her know what happened, Bri. Since the trap for Victor was a fake, we've got to assume he found out where Abby is really being kept, and he's on his way there. Will do, Brian said. I'll see if Becca can get a fix on his location for us. Daniel opened the door for Fiona and helped her to lift Miriam out. The security cameras would show them moving the body, but the building was hive-owned, so Fiona wasn't concerned. Besides, Brian could always edit the footage later. Brian got out of the lift at the floor for the nest, but Daniel and Fiona continued upwards for another thirty stories coming out at the common area where Fiona and Miriam had shared a certain conversation six months before. A gust of winter wind blew over them as they opened the doors to the snow-covered terrace. Some detached part of Fiona's mind noted that the lush greenery that had filled the place in summer was now withered and dead. Somehow, that felt appropriate. Daniel glanced at her in unspoken question. Fiona nodded to the broad ledge that sat at chest height between the terrace and the open air of the city. They laid Miriam down on top of the slab of concrete, and Daniel arranged her arms so that her hands were crossed over her waist. He stepped back, lowered his head, and made a small invoking gesture. 
Eli grant her peace, he murmured. Fiona brushed a few locks of Miriam's hair out of her face. She worshipped the great maker, actually. Her voice sounded small and fragile, even in her own ears. For some reason, that didn't bother her as much as it might have, once. Oh. Daniel gave her a weak smile. In that case, may the mother of all welcome her in her everlasting embrace. Or, um, however they say it. He paused, his bright blue eyes studying her closely. Would you, um, like some time alone with her? Fiona nodded once. Daniel nodded back and turned to go. Daniel. He stopped and looked back, questioningly. Fiona closed her eyes and swallowed once. Thank you for saving my life. She looked down at Miriam, then back at him. And you were right. We did need you. He didn't smile, but she saw in his eyes and in his aura how much that meant to him. You're welcome. He turned again and left her alone. Or not quite alone. I always liked him. Miriam's telepathic voice was soft but clear in Fiona's mind. He has a good heart. Fiona let herself smile a little at that. It was never his heart that I questioned, she said dryly. Oh, come, child, Miriam chided. You must have trusted his brain as well for you to take the chance that you did. Fiona looked down at the elder's unmoving form. What do you mean? Miriam's tone was gentle. Fiona, dear, you could have kept up our little dance for a good while longer. You chose to let me catch you in that spot so that Daniel would have the chance to attack me while I was feeding. Fiona shifted uneasily. A tactical decision, she said, with a casualness she didn't feel. It was the only way we could have won. Yes, exactly. And do you think you could have made that decision six months ago? Fiona opened her mouth, then closed it again. You let yourself become helpless to save the lives of the people you cared for, Miriam said. I am immensely proud of you, my dear. Tears came to Fiona's eyes, but she didn't brush them away. She bent over Miriam's body and pressed her face against one cold, ashen cheek. I'm sorry I couldn't save you, she said, her voice catching on a sob. Hush, child, Miriam said soothingly. You've done all I could have hoped for, and I knew the risks when I challenged Ardvalos. You owe me nothing. You're wrong, Fiona said fervently, taking Miriam's still hand in her own. I owe you everything. They sat there in silence for some time, their spirits communing wordlessly through the psychic link. At last, Miriam spoke again. How long until sunrise? Fiona consulted her watch. Six hours. After a pause, she added, The terrace has southern exposure. You should have direct sunlight by ten o'clock at the latest. The forecast is for clear skies. Very good. I'll be glad to see the sun again, if only briefly. Miriam seemed to hesitate before speaking again. 
Fiona, I wonder if you might be willing to attend to a few details after my passing. Of course, Fiona said at once. What would you ask of me? In my service to Malcolm, I took a number of, well, thralls is the term he prefers. Some of them are telepaths. I don't want the syndicate to keep control of them after I'm gone. I did my best to care for them all, but others in the hierarchy would not be so conscientious. We'll get them out, Fiona promised. Where can I find them? At the private apartment reserved for me as elder. I left instructions for my seneschal to take them there, in case I succeeded in failing in my mission. The ironic note in her voice was obvious, but she quickly turned serious again. Her name is Seralina Greyhaven. She would tell you that I saved her from a fate worse than death, though I fear the woman I saved is not quite the same woman who was lost. She may hate you for destroying me, but be kind to her for my sake. She is very precious to me. Fiona sensed the odd mix of feelings behind Miriam's words. Love, pride, guilt. She nodded once. I promise. Before either of them could say anything further, Fiona's enhanced hearing picked up the sound of someone running down the hall behind her. She turned to look just as the door to the terrace flew open. Daniel stood there, his face a mask of anguish, tears streaming down his face. Fiona, you've got to come down, he said, his voice breaking. Victory! Hospital! Sasha! Oh, Eli! Fiona's heart felt like something had wrapped it in its claws and started to squeeze. She looked at Daniel, then down at Miriam. Go, child, Miriam urged her. The sun will do its work without you. She didn't even wait for Daniel. After brushing past him in a blur of motion, she took the stairs free-running style, leaping from the railing of one flight down to the next with feline agility. She reached the door of the apartment just as Brian and Rebecca were rushing out of it. Brian's voice was as choked as Daniel's. Something's happened, he said. Eastside General Hospital Intensive Care Unit Abby Preston lay in her bed in the ICU, the soft rhythm of a heart monitor beeping in the background. The blankets hid most of the bandages from view, but what Daniel could see was bad enough. Besides the EKG, they had her hooked up to a ventilator, a pulse oximeter, an automated blood pressure cuff, and half a dozen IV pumps. Daniel had seen people in worse shape, but not often. We got her to the surgeons as fast as we could, Morgan said, sounding almost as if she blamed herself for what had happened. But it took an hour to fix what that psychopath did to the power conduit, and he hurt a lot of our staff while he was hunting her down. We were down to backcountry medicine for a while there. She shook her head. They say she'll make it, but... Well, there's going to be a lot of uterine scarring. I'm sorry. Daniel nodded heavily. So Abby Preston, the collective's great prodigy, was going to be unable to bear any children for them. The irony was almost unbearably cruel. 
and speaking of unbearable cruelties. He looked into the adjoining room, where Sasha's family was gathered at her bedside. Fiona was on her knees, clutching her lover's hand and weeping openly. Brian held Rebecca in his arms on the opposite side of the bed, giving Fiona her space. His eyes caught Daniel's, and the bleakness in his expression made Daniel's gut clench inside him. No chance for Sasha, then? he asked Morgan. The Mundy woman shook her head. The ligachimach suggests that he strangled her until she passed out, she said, her voice hoarse with shared grief. The mad John she injected herself with did the rest. We could keep her body going indefinitely, but her cerebral cortex is just... fried. She hesitated. Daniel, Sasha was a registered donor, and there's a teenage girl upstairs who badly needs a liver transplant. We're just waiting for her family to give consent. She took a deep breath, then added in a thick voice, I feel like such a fucking vulture for saying that. Damn it, she was my friend, too. Daniel wiped the tears out of his eyes and put a hand on her shoulder. It's okay, Morgan. You're just doing your job. Sasha would have wanted you to. Damned right I would. Daniel froze. Over at Abby's bed, the rhythm of the heart monitor sped up slightly. The gentle whoosh of the ventilator seemed almost deafening. Did you hear that? Daniel asked. Yeah, yeah, Morgan sniffed, wiping her eyes. Sasha would have wanted it, just doing my job. Doesn't make it feel any better, you know. No, no, I know, Daniel said, stepping away from her and turning in a slow circle. I just thought I heard... Daniel? Hey, Daniel, over here! Daniel turned in the direction of Abby's bed. The telepathic signal was faint, but it was also unmistakably familiar. What in the hells? Come on, pretty boy, figure it out. Damn it, if anybody should be able to, it's you. Inside Daniel's head, Danny gave a cry of alarm. Oh, holy hells! Daniel, it's her! It's Sasha! Daniel rushed over to Abby's side, then gently took her hand. Immediately, the telepathic voice grew clearer. Hey there, big guy, Sasha said, flashing him the telepathic equivalent of a grin. Daniel grinned right back at her. Brian! Fee! Bex! Get in here, fast! Telling the full tale didn't take quite as long as Daniel might have expected. Over the next hour, he, Sasha, and the others compared notes on what had happened with Victor, Abby, and Miriam. In the process, he found himself unloading the whole story of how Victor had suckered him into taking part in the ill-fated smuggling operation that had cost Dell and Trace their lives. It was strange. He had thought that he would never be able to tell anyone in the Collective about the terrible choices he had made, but the trials they had just endured together made it easier somehow. Certainly Brian and the others would never question his loyalty, now that he had risked his life to save Fiona. His own conscience still ached, though. I just wish I'd said something earlier, he said, the frustration coming out in his voice. We might have avoided some of this if I'd been honest with you guys. We've all been keeping secrets, 
Brian said sourly. That's the problem with the whole collective. Too many damned secrets. Well, that and the paranoia, Sasha said. And that, Daniel agreed. He looked around at them, then down at Abby's unconscious form. Sasha, is Abby still in there with you? She's here, but she's sleeping right now. Our gestalt got unraveled a bit when we lost consciousness. I think the only reason I'm awake is because I have this astral projection thing going on. She paused. Guys, I've got to be honest here. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hold myself together after she wakes up. I lost part of myself when my body... Well, when my brain died, anyway. I think Abby got a good-sized piece of my soul, but I don't know if it's enough for me to keep going as a separate personality forever. Rebecca trembled visibly. So, we're still going to lose you? No, baby, I'm not leaving, Sasha said soothingly. I just... I can't live like this, as some kind of ghost riding shotgun in Abby's body. I don't know how you and Danny do it, Daniel. Daniel gave her a half-smile. It isn't easy, believe me. I can tell. And I can't even shapeshift to get some time in a familiar body. She sent Rebecca a telepathic hug. When Abby wakes up, I'm going to start integrating with her. We made a good gestalt, and I wouldn't mind staying that way. I think Abby feels that way, too. I can give her something she hasn't had since she was a kid. A family and a place of belonging. She paused, a trace of uncertainty appearing in her thoughts. Assuming you still want me like this. Fiona squeezed Abby's hand, then sent a mental image around to all of them. Herself as a young girl, orphaned through violence just as Abby had been. Daniel hadn't seen the image before, and he was startled by the woman's sudden display of honesty. How could we turn either of you away? she asked. Fee's right, Becca said. We're a family, and nothing's going to change that. Daniel smiled, thinking back to their graduation day five years ago. Not nobody, not know-how, he said. Memory stirred in the link, as they each remembered that gestalt they had made, the day that their lives changed forever. Inevitably, thoughts turned to their two lost companions, Dell and Trace, and to the man responsible for all this misery. Victor's going down, Brian said grimly. Today. I'm not letting that bastard disappear into the woodwork. Not again. But how? Rebecca asked. He's stronger than any of us. He trained us. And now he's immune to telepathy. I've got an idea about that, Sasha said. Let me show you what we saw when we looked in his head. Images flickered through the link at high speed. Once they realized what they were looking at, the plan fell into place quickly, though there were some reservations. I dislike being left behind, Fiona said, though there was more regret than heat in the words. I know, Brian said, but you stand the best chance of stopping him if he decides to come back and finish off Abby and Sasha. Daniel and I can handle this. How are you going to get him to go where you want him? Sasha asked. Leave that to me, Daniel said. If I know Victor, he's going to be looking for a way to get out of the hive's crosshairs. 
and I know just who he'll trust to find it for him. And that's the end of Chapter 56. Come back next time as Victor tries to flee the city, but Brian and Daniel have a nasty surprise in store for him. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 25th through December 31st. I wrote 885 words this week, over the course of one hour, for an average speed of 885 words per hour. I wrote on one out of seven days this week. Looking back at the month of December, I wrote a total of 2,858 words in four days, averaging 714 words per day. That ranks 75th out of 80 months since I started this show. Compared to November, my word count decreased by 63%, and my writing time decreased by 71%. This week I threw all my energy into recording and editing the rest of Making the Cut. I had set the goal for myself of finishing the audiobook by the end of the year, and I nearly made it. I recorded and edited chapters 55 through 57, and I recorded the raw audio for 58 and the epilogue. As a result, I was able to edit the remaining files and upload them to ACX on New Year's Day, finishing just one day after my target. In total, I recorded and edited seven chapters in December, making it my second most productive month for audio since August, when I finished eight chapters. And, as was the case in August, the trade-off came from giving up writing time. I didn't write any fiction at all in the month of December. Now it's time for the 2021 year-end wrap-up. I wrote a total of 115,075 words last year, over the course of 175 days. That's my second lowest annual total since I started this show, just beating out 2018, when I wrote a little under 93,000 words. I completed four stories in 2021, The Honor Bound Trilogy and the Natasha prequel novella, Learning the Ropes. The last of the writing on those stories was finished in July, though, so it's been a while since I finished something. I've been working on my current project, Out of the Shadows, off and on since July 14th, but there were long stretches during the year when I didn't work on the story at all. In January, that needs to change. Over on the Patreon feed, we gained a new patron in December. Please welcome Amy. If you like this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the best way to support me. Roughly 90% of whatever you pledge goes directly to me, which helps pay for things like web hosting, podcast distribution, software licensing, and cool new Metamore City artwork. Sign up at the $3 a month level or higher, and you'll get to read the first drafts of new stories as I write them. Plus, every patron gets the annual Metamore City Holiday Card, with exclusive new artwork you can't find anywhere else. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. 
I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.